If you haven't been with us for the past month or so, um, we're in a series called Like, and this is a one-year journey of spiritual formation and spiritual transformation, talking about how we become more like Jesus, and that starts first and foremost, as we've been talking about, with orthodoxy, which means proper thoughts and proper beliefs about who God is and proper beliefs about who we are as well. And so in this series, last week, we addressed the very important question, um, what am I? And what am I? You could also ask it in another way, be, uh, saying, what does it actually mean to be a human? What, what makes a person a person? What makes a human a human? And this is a very debated subject in culture today. We addressed that last week. And our conclusion after looking at the scriptures is that to be human is fundamentally to be known by God and to be thought of by God. Culture teaches, as Rene Descartes said in the 1600s, I think, therefore I am. I know, therefore I am. Culture defines humanity and personhood as self-awareness. Awareness, to be able to think, to be able to know. Biblically, what we see when we look at the scriptures, to be human is to be thought of and to be known. The psalmist wrote, we talked about this last week, Psalm 144, verse 3. He said, oh Lord, what is man? He was reflecting on that question. What am I? What is man? And then he said, that you regard him. The son of man, that you think of him. The answer to the question is in the question itself. What is man? What makes you you? What makes a person a person is that God thinks of you. It's that God knows you. It's that God has created you. That is the foundation for personhood. That is the foundation for what I am. I'm known by God and I'm thought of by God. Had God not known you, thought of you, he would not have created you, which means you would not be you would not exist. You would not be able to ask the question, what am I or who am I had God never thought of you, had God not known you. So the foundation of personhood is that we are known by God that we are thought of by God, that we are created by God. And so we addressed that last week. If you missed the podcast, you can check out on iTunes a real important subject around humanity and personhood. And I'd love for you to check that out if you missed it. Today, we're gonna move on to a different part of that discussion. And having laid the foundation for what I am, known by God, thought of by God, we're today gonna uh, get into another important question, which is who am I? So not so much what what am I? What does it mean to be human? What is personhood? But who am I on a personal level? And the reality is we had to lay the foundation last week because you can't know who you are apart from first addressing the question what you are. What I am defines and determines and sets the course for who we are. And so if what I am is known by God, which is what we talked about last week, that means who I am is known to God. So when you ask that question, who am I? A question that every person will ask at least at some point in their lives, who, who am I? What makes me me? Because God knows you, because God has thought of you, because that's the foundation of personhood, who you are is known to God. God knows the answer to that question. He is the one who knows who you are, him and actually him alone. We got into this a little bit a few weeks ago that God actually knows us better than we know ourselves. 
because he thought of us first. He created us. He saw us when we were unformed, even in our mother's womb. So God knows more about us than we know about ourselves. So when you ask that question, who am I? The the reality is this, who we are is known to God. That's the foundation, and we're going to go from there. God knows who we are. Now, the, the, the thought of that to, to, to believe, if one believes that who we are is really only known to God and only known by God, and as we get closer to God, we begin to discover more of who we truly are, this pushes so much against the postmodern ideas in our culture surrounding personal identity. Personal identity, who I am, this is the probably greatest topic and subject in our culture today. What makes you you? Do you get to define and determine who you are? Do I? Does culture? Do other people? What makes me me? Where do I find the answer to the question, who am I? And in a postmodern context, personal identity has become a do-it-yourself type of project. Meaning when people ask, who am I? We think in the culture today that we live that I get to create who I am. I get to choose who I am. I get to determine who I am. It's a do-it-yourself project. And because of this, because this is the way that culture thinks, it has led to a plethora of answers as to a person's essential identity. And people today, because we have so many answers and because we think that we get to determine and define our own identity, there is so much identity confusion. People are asking more than ever this question, who am I? And, and they're trying to discover themselves and they're looking to themselves and they're looking to everything the world says, and more than ever, people are confused about who they are. Finding, defining, and designing yourself, getting to choose your own personal identity, this is a a moral imperative in our culture. Culture teaches that you can be whoever you want, you can do whatever you want, and to go against that stream of thought is actually really controversial. To tell someone, you actually don't get to define yourself, you don't get to design yourself, that is so countercultural. But this is the way we think. We have to understand the culture that we live. This is how people define themselves. Personal identity by most people is something they find and define and design in and of themselves. We get to be whoever we want. Anthony Elliott, a sociologist, I love uh, his, his quote on this. He says, the anything goes thinking that was fostered by postmodernism has drilled all the way down to the fabric of our identities. And that's the reality. Because it's a do-it-yourself, because we think identity is something we choose and we create and we can be anything we want, it's affected the way that we see ourselves. It's affected the way that we see God. It's affected the way we see others. It's affected everything. We're living in the midst of an identity crisis where people are looking everywhere to try and answer that question, who am I? Now, there's a piece of advice that kind of goes along with this that you hear every single place in culture. The magazines that we read, the TV shows that we watch, the self-help books, the, the even children's books are saying these exact same things. Um, even philosoph- uh, philosophical discussions around ethical dilemmas, they, they give this one piece of advice. And again, to go against this strain of thought, which is what culture thinks is the greatest advice you can give someone, again, it's real counterintuitive. It's real countercultural. That piece of advice, which you've probably heard a million times in your life, is uh, which again is unthinkable to disagree with, is this piece of advice. Be true to who? Yourself. Be true to yourself. 
This is what kids' books are about now. These are, this is what cartoons are about. This, this is what everything in our culture says. Be true to yourself. Just, just be who you are. Just you do you, bro. I'll do me. Don't tell, don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me who I need to be. You just do you, and I'll just do me. Be true to yourself. It's interesting, actually, when you look at the origins of where this type of thinking came of be true to yourself, it actually traces itself all the way back to Shakespeare. In Shakespeare's play Hamlet, Act 1, Scene 3, Polonius actually says to his son, this above all, to thine own self be true. That's where this type of thinking, be true to yourself, actually comes from. Shakespeare himself. But what Shakespeare meant by saying this, to thine own self and thine own self only be true, he meant avoid self-indulgent pursuits. He was speaking to his son, giving wisdom to his son, who was about to go out saying, saying avoid self-indulgent pursuits that would harm his son's image or reputation. The way that we've interpreted it and the way that we tell people in culture, be true to yourself, is the exact opposite. When somebody today tells you, hey, be true to yourself, what we mean is just follow your heart. And that's another way that you can categorize what it means to be true to yourself. Just follow your heart. Whatever you want to do, whatever's in your heart, just be true to you. Just do that. Whatever you think of yourself, resist the external pressures from other people. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Do what you want. Don't let other people define you. You just do you, bro. This is the way that our culture thinks. But there's a problem with this type of thinking, a huge problem. The, the problem with the thinking to be true to yourself or just do your own thing or follow your heart, the problem with this mindset is that the self is often selfish. If I just stay true to myself and do what myself wants and follow my heart, there is a lot of uh, justifiable, questionable moral behavior. People do things and use this, oh, I'm just being true to myself in order to justify really messed up stuff. But, oh, it, they're just being true to themselves. They're just following their heart. They're just, that, that's who they really are. And so we, we get away with doing things that we should not do by holding to this type of belief that you can define yourself, you can be true to yourself, you just do your own thing. The abusive or unfaithful spouse, oh, they're just, they're just being true to themselves. Their heart is leading them in a different direction to be unfaithful in that marriage. Their heart is leading them and desiring to be abusive. And so they're just being true to themselves. They're, they're just following what's in their heart. The dishonest employee or employer. Oh, they're just being true to themselves. That's, that's what's coming out of their heart. That's, that's who they are. That's how they want to live. Yeah, man, do that. Be true to yourself. This is the way that culture thinks. The, the greedy workaholic, man, yeah, just keep putting your family on the back burner. It's cool, man. Keep doing your thing. Just be true to yourself. The self-harming individual, just, if, if you feel those emotions, if you feel that pain, it's okay. It, it, it's okay to self-harm. If that's the way that you're thinking, just, just be true to yourself. This is how culture thinks. Whatever's in our heart, whatever we think, just, just stay true to that. Dishonesty, backstabbing, anger, whatever it is, all of this can be justified by the type of thinking that culture promotes, which is you're you, be true to you, don't let anybody else say who you are, just whatever you are, whoever you want to be, stay true to that. And with this type of thinking, important virtues such as love, such as kindness, faithfulness, 
self-control, they, they all take a back seat. If that's not what is coming out of me, if that's not who I am, if I'm not patient, if I'm not loving, if, if, if I'm not faithful, if I have no self-control, it's okay. I can just keep doing my own thing because that's not me. Maybe you have patience. Maybe you have self-control. Maybe you're loving, but not me. So I can do my thing. Don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me that I can't be this way because this is who I am. I'm staying true to myself. And it's a very dangerous type of thinking. N.T. Wright has this to say about it. He said, if you are true to yourself, you will end up a complete mess. The challenge is to take the self you find within and to choose wisely which impulses and desires to follow and which ones to resist. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 15, verse 19. He said, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. No. When you do that, this is the type of stuff that happens. This is what's in the natural heart of man. So we do need to, like N.T. Wright says, we need to choose wisely which desires that are coming out of my heart should I act on and which ones should I resist. It's not just I do everything that I want because I'm being true to myself and I get to choose who I am and I'm an autonomous individual and I can do whatever I want and nobody can tell me anything else. That's the way our culture thinks. But the other biggest problem with this way of thinking, this advice to be true to yourself, is the reality is, in order to be true to yourself, you have to know your true self. And the reality is this, people don't. People don't know their true selves, and yet they're living with this philosophy that I just, I just stay true to myself. I do my own thing. But they don't know who they are. And so we act on all these impulses and we do all these things which are not who we truly are, but we allow them to define us. To be true to yourself, you have to know your true self. And the reality is that you cannot know your true self by looking to self. You cannot know who you are. You cannot know your true self just by looking to you. If I just look to myself and what's coming out of my heart and my desires to define myself, that's going to be messed up. There, there, there's a lot of garbage in me. There's a lot of junk in me. There's a lot in me that's not who I was actually created to be. And so when we look to ourselves to define ourselves, when we look to ourselves for identity to answer that question, who am I? I'm just going to see what's coming out of my heart. I'm just going to see whatever I want to do and follow that. We're going to miss out on who we truly are. And this is because God designed humans in a very specific way that is different than any other thing that God created. On the sixth day of creation, when God created human beings, Genesis chapter one, verse 26 says, and God said, let us create man in our image and after our likeness. Human beings are the only thing in creation which were created in the image and likeness of God. Meaning what? What's an image? What's the purpose of an image? Well, when you see an image of something, when you see a picture of something, the purpose of it is to show you what the original looks like. Meaning when God made us in his image, we were created to show the world, to display, to represent who God is. 
We were created in the likeness of God. God made us like him, which means if I keep looking to myself to define myself, I'm not ever going to find my true self. Why? Because I was made in the likeness of God. I was made like God. I was made in the image of God, which means to find out who I really am, to be able to answer that question, who am I? I have to look to God. And the beauty is this. The reason God did that, the reason he made humans and only humans in his image is because he wanted a relationship with us. If the only way I can find out who I am as an image bearer of God is by looking to the original, by looking to God himself, it's, it shows that God wanted a relationship with you, that God wanted a relationship with me. And maybe you've never thought of that. Maybe you've never pondered that concept. And maybe that's the one reason that God brought you here today is because maybe you've been asking that question, who am I? And you've been looking to yourself and you've been looking to culture and you've been looking to everything else and you can't find the answer and it's because you were created in the image of God. And you're never gonna find the answer until you actually look to this God who created you to be like him. If I keep looking at myself, I'm gonna miss out. I'm never gonna discover who I truly am. Human beings were created to find who we are Again, through a relationship with God. When God created us in his image, God himself is a relational being. He has existed for eternity past in a perfect mutual loving relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three of them existed relationally for eternity past. Which means when God created us in his image, part of what that means is that we were created for relationships. Which means to find out who I am, it's not a do-it-yourself project. I can't find out who I am apart from relationships. The idea that humans are autonomous individuals who can build their own concrete identities by looking to themselves apart from relationships, that is so far from the truth because God created us in his image. The truth is persons come to know themselves by being known by persons other than themselves. I gotta say that again. Persons come to know themselves in being known by persons other than themselves, namely God, namely a relationship with Jesus who made us in his image. But this works with other human relationships as well, right? Those of you guys who are married in here, you thought like you were the man, you thought like you were the woman, you like had it all together, and then you got married, and you're like discovering all this new stuff about you, about how sucky you are. You're like, whoa, like I'm so selfish, and like I'm so messy, and all this stuff. You never realized that. You never knew those things about yourself. You thought you knew yourself, and then you got married, and you're like, shoot, now I'm seeing all this stuff, because your wife's like, clean that up. You never put that away. Or you're like, make the better, you, you real. It's through relationships, it's through other people coming to know us that we come to know ourselves. It's true of personal human relationships, but more so our relationship with God because we were created in the image of God. In the same way that as people get to know you, you get to know more of yourself. It works that way, but even more so in a relationship with God. As we come closer to God who created us in his image and likeness, as we get close to him and see what he is like, as we get close to him and see the original whom we are the image, we begin to discover who we are. Why? Because God knows us. He knows who we are, and so we can't know ourselves apart from him. 
I love this quote by Hans Wolf. He says, just as it is impossible for a man to confront himself and to see himself from all sides or for a person who is still developing to know of himself whose child he is, just so certainly does man fundamentally need the meeting with another who investigates and explains him. But where is the other to whom the being could put the question, who am I? The answer to that question, where is that person who can investigate us and tell us who we are, that person whom we can turn to, who knows us by relationship we come to know ourselves, that person is the person of Jesus. That person is the son of God. That person is God himself in the flesh. And we actually see in the Bible, we're gonna get into our main text here, we actually see that people in the Bible wrestled with this exact same question. And that's our foundation. If I wanna know who I am, we we have to see what the word, what the scripture says about this. And we actually see that David himself, in 2 Samuel chapter seven, David himself wrestled with this exact same question. Who am I? The, the, the subject of personal identity. David himself asked this question in 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles, you can look down at verse 18 through 20. Before we read that, though, I have to give you a little bit of context so you can know what's going through David's mind here. David, previously in this chapter, at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 7, David was planning on building a house for God. That is a physical building. His desire was, God, I want to build you a temple. I want to build you a house, a place where I can come and worship you. But God actually says to David, no, David, I'm actually going to build you a house. Not a physical house, but a spiritual house in the sense that David's kingdom and his throne would be established forever. So David's like, I'm going to build you a church, God. And God's like, no, but I'm going to choose you. And upon your lineage, from your lineage, there will always be someone on the throne that would be fulfilled later when the person of Jesus came. But this is the context of the conversation that David is having with God. And God says, nope. I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. David then asks this question in 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 18. It says, then David went in and sat before the Lord. Once God just told him he was going to establish his throne forever. He sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? David is just told by God, I'm choosing you to establish your kingdom and your throne forever. And David's response is a really good question. Who am I? Who am I, Lord God, that, that, that you would choose me? Who am I that you would establish my throne forever? He continues and says, and yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is the instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And then he says in verse 20, and what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. So David wondered who he was that God would choose him to establish his throne as, and his kingdom forever. And when God told David that, he looked to himself and said, who am I? I have no worth. I have no significance. I have no security in the fact that that this should be, that he's choosing the right person. 
That it's gonna be my throne. It's gonna be my kingdom that God himself is establishing forever. Who am I? I'm not worthy of that. I'm not deserving of that. He looked to himself and realized that this isn't me. I can't do this. I'm not worthy of this. And so he asked that question to God. He says, who am I, O Lord God? He asked that question to God. Why are you choosing me? Who am I that you would choose me to do this? And we see that God answers that question through David's own response in verse 20. David asks in verse 18, who am I that you would build my house? And then in verse 20, I love this. Again, David says, what more can David say to you? He says, for you know your servant, O Lord God. The answer to the question, who am I, that God would establish my throne, the answer to that question, David answers himself and says, you know your servant. David says, who am I? You know your servant. I'm not worthy. Why are you choosing me for this? I look to myself and I don't get it. That's not who I am. I, I don't see myself as being a king and my throne reign for who am I? But you, God, you know your servant. You know who I am. And you're the one who's choosing me. And when I look to myself, I just ask, who am I? I don't, I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy of this. I don't get this. I'm not the right person. But, but you, God, you know your servant. And even before David was on the throne, God knew David. God had a plan for David. In 1 Samuel, Samuel chapter 16, um, uh, we see that Samuel came to anoint a new king. And he went to the house of Jesse, and Jesse had seven sons. And he brought all of his sons before Samuel. And they were all really good looking and really ripped and had a great like resume. And they all stand before Jesse. And Jesse's like, oh, this is probably him. This guy kills it. And the Lord's like, nope. Nope, nope. And all seven sons came in and God said to Samuel, nope, that's not them. And Samuel's like, well, you told me to come here to anoint a king. And so he asked Jesse, he's like, hey, bro, like, do you got any more sons? And he's like, eh, not really, but there is like this little kid out in the field named David and uh, he just watches sheep, so not really. And Samuel's like, bring him in, bring him in. And then David, like this little shepherd boy, who a shepherd in that culture was not esteemed, no value, no worth. It's like nobody wants to do that. He comes in and he has no idea. And then Samuel looks at him and God says, that's him. That's the king. Anoint him. And David, this little shepherd boy, is anointed king over Israel in the presence of his dad and his seven older brothers. And he's like, what? Again, are you sure you got the right choice? You got the right guy? Like the sixth grader, like for real, that dude's going to be the king. No, but guess what? God knew David. God knew his servant. He knew who he was. He knew the plans that he had for him. And so David here now is on the throne years later. And God's like, I'm going to establish your throne forever. And he asks that important question that every human asks at some point in their life. Who am I? Who am I? Why has God put me here? Why has he, why, who am I? I'm looking to myself and I'm not seeing that I can do this. But you, God, know your servant, which means the answer to that question, who am I, it cannot be answered by us. You cannot answer the question, who am I, for yourself. The question, who am I, can only be answered by the one and only person who actually knows you for who you really are. That is God. 
Because God knows you, as David said, you know your servant. Because God knew David, because God knows who you are, he is the only person who can answer that question, who am I? Only God. The reason we don't fully know who we are, again, we were made in the image of God. We have to look to God to find out who we are. You, O oh God, know your servant. So David asks that, who am I, Lord? He says, you know me. That's who I am. I don't know who I am, but you do, and I'm going to trust in that. Now, I want to just focus for one second here on one tiny part of this that is a part that we often miss, which is so important. When David asks in verse 18, who am I? After he asks, who am I? He also says, oh, Lord God. And my question for you is simply this. Have you ever asked that question, who am I, to God? David is addressing God here, the person who does know him. He says, who am I, O Lord God? We usually, as humans, we cut off the second half. We all wrestle with, who am I? But we don't ask it to God. We don't ask it to the only person who actually does know us. We ask ourselves, we look to ourselves, we ask the people around us, we look to culture. We do not address the question to the person of God, the only person who only does know us. And so you have to ask yourself that question honestly. Have you ever legitimately asked that question to God? Have you asked God, God, who, who am I, Zav? I, I know who I think I am, but who, who do you say that I am? God, who am I? Are you asking that question to God or are you asking that question to yourself or are you asking it to other people? God is the only one who can build a firm foundation for our personal identity, for who we are because he's the only person who knows us. And when we don't ask that question to God, when we leave off the second half and just say, who am I? We build false identities for ourselves that are a product of culture and, and, and the surrounding culture that we live in. Our identities are built up of all these different things. It's a, it's a jumbled mess of our ethnicity, our gender, our personality, our appearance, our influence, our relationship, our occupations, our possessions, all these things. Like We, we look to all these things to, to try and understand who we really are, and all these things, are not, they're not bad. All these things are important, but none of these things are all important. And this is where we go wrong. We ask the question, who am I? But we don't say, oh, Lord God. We don't ask him who we are. We just say, who am I? And then we begin to look. Well, this is the relationship that I'm in. And so since I'm kind of trying to ask that question, who am I? I'm going to define myself by this relationship. Who am I? Uh, don't really know. Not asking God, but I have all this money, so that, that's who I am. I'm defined by my wealth. Who am I? Well, I look to myself and I'm kind of funny or I'm kind of shy or I'm kind of whatever. And so, so that's who I am. I'm, I'm my personality. We, we, we look to all the wrong places. We look to ourselves. We look to the culture and we build a false identity. We look to important things, but we make them all important. We say, this is who I am. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am my sexuality. I am my fill in the blank. And so the question for you is, what have you been looking to to answer that question? 
What has been the answer to that question for you? What is the thing that you define yourself by? Who am I? Is it relationships? Is it your job? Is it your sexuality? Is it your ethnicity? Is it your influence? Is it your social media following? What is it that you define yourself by? When you say, who am I? What is it that you're looking to to answer that question? For each of us, it's gonna be different. And so you have to honestly ask yourself that question to be able to see maybe where you've went off track. And again, maybe you've never asked the question to God as David did, who am I, O Lord God? Maybe you've never asked that question to God because you're afraid that he's gonna tell you something that's different than what you've always believed. The thought of letting God define you and letting God tell you who you are and asking that question to him with complete openness to receive and believe who he says you are because he knows you, maybe you've never asked that question to him because you're afraid because you've built up a false identity, because you've defined yourself by all these horizontal things when we were created to find identity vertically in a relationship with the person of Jesus. And the reality is, the fact that you're scared that asking that question to God is gonna change some things and is gonna maybe pull you away from some false identities that you built, the reality is, you're absolutely right. I'm not gonna tell you that when you ask God who you are, it's gonna be like, yep, you got it all right. We, we don't, because we've never asked the question to God. We just ask who I am, and we don't say, who am I, God? Who do you say that I am? And so we're right. God will expose, he will reveal our false identities when we ask him, because he really knows who we are. Who am I, O Lord God? You know your servant. Who am I, Zav? You, God, you know. I don't. And I can't know until I ask that question to God. Until I say, God, you define me. You tell me who I am. You show me who I am. Again, the foundation of this is personhood. The foundation of what is it to be human? It's to be known by God, thought of by God, created by God, which means God knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And if we keep looking to other things to define us, we're going to miss out on knowing who we truly are. And this is so important. Proper knowledge of self. God wants you to know who you are. He wants you to know who you are in him though. He wants you to define yourself the way that he defines you, not the way you define yourself, not the way that culture defines you, who he says you are, that's who he wants you to be. I love this quote by Augustine. He said, let me know you for you are the God who knows me. Man, let me know you because you're the God who knows me. If you want to know who you are, if you want to be able to answer that question in a way where you, you actually have a proper understanding of yourself, the reality is this, you have to look to the person of Jesus. Jesus is the only person who truly knows you. Jesus knew you, Jesus thought of you before the foundation of the world. In the same way that your parents, when you're a child, they know more about you than you do. You don't remember when you were first born. You don't remember your first year, second year, third year. Your parents do, and they can tell you. 
They can tell you, this is who you were. This is what you did. This is what you were like. We don't know that, but they do. They remember, God knows us so perfectly. Before the world was created, he knew you. He thought of you. And so when we ask that question to him, God, Jesus, who do you say that I am? We begin to have a proper understanding and a proper estimation of ourselves. If you want to know your true self, you have to know the only person who does know you, and that's Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, I'll close with this. Colossians 1, verse 15 says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The language here is so cool. Humans, Genesis 126, were created in the image and likeness of God. We were created in the image, meaning we were created to reflect who he is. Who is he? Look at Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Humans were created in the image. Jesus is the image, which means if you want to know who you are, if you want to understand yourself, it's in the person of Jesus. It's through a personal relationship with Jesus. And this God, Jesus, loves us so much and wants us to know ourselves so much and wants us to know him so much that he not only made us in his image, he took on human flesh. The creator became a creature. God became a human and came to this earth. He went to the cross. He laid down his own life as an identity statement for who you are. He says, this is who you are, forgiven. This is who you are, redeemed. This is who you are, a new creation in Christ. So often we define ourselves by our failures. We define ourselves by our past. We define ourselves by our sin. Jesus says, let me tell you who you are. You're loved. Let me tell you who you are. I'm giving my life on your behalf because I love you and because I know you and I want you to know me and I want you to know yourself. Today, Jesus may have brought you here to just hear that one thing. He may have brought you here to know that you've been looking to all these places and all these things and all these people to try and answer that question, who am I? And you're just a little bit off. It's just one person. It's the person of Jesus who knows us and loves us and created us. God's knowledge of us, God's knowledge of you gives us a different answer to the question, who am I? And who I am and who you are is known by God. And as we pursue a relationship with God through the person of Jesus, we come to know who we really are. We see false identities broken down. We see, see false understandings of ourselves torn down. And we see Jesus coming in through the power of the Holy Spirit, renewing, transforming, changing us, showing us who we are in him. That's my prayer today is that every single one of you guys would begin to see who you are, not by looking to yourself, but by looking to the person of Jesus and trusting in his finished work. Amen?